Jesus' name, amen. Amen. With your heads maybe still bowed, why don't you close your eyes for one second? I want to ask you a question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What images, what qualities, what responses? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who you think God is is the most important factor in your life. Maybe you don't have any thoughts. Maybe not much comes to mind. Maybe it's somewhat unimportant or insignificant to you that that's the case. But I would just say that it's our knowledge of God that determines what we think and how we think and how we then behave. Where we go, what we do, how we act, why we act that way. Those things come from our knowledge of God. And any relationship that's worth something is just the same way. It's based on knowledge. When you meet somebody for the first time, you don't really think you know them. You don't think you know everything about them. But you come to know them more when you have the opportunity to find out more things about them and their ways. Because we come to know a, por- a person and know more about them and, and, and know them as a new acquaintance and then a friend and someone who maybe becomes a partner in ministry or a partner in life or a spouse or whatever it is, you better understand how to carry on a relationship with that person. You grow in your relationship with them based on knowledge and knowing them. And in the same way, a healthy, growing relationship with the God of the universe, must be rooted in a firm knowledge of who he is, who he reveals himself to be in his word. You tracking with me this morning? I brought my amen corner in case y'all go to sleep. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, read this way. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him boast and let let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. Peter picks up this idea in his second letter where he says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was A.W. Tozer who first said that quote in a book that he wrote called The Knowledge of the Holy. The book is about the attributes of God. And when he wrote that, he said, the most important thing about you is whatever comes to mind when you think about God. When we speak about an attribute of God, when we talk about The attributes of God. We have to remember that an attribute is not something that is a part of God, but it is who he is. It's not just like a feature. These are things that are true of God in his basic nature. These are those characteristics that help us to understand 
who God truly is. And today I want to briefly touch on the infinite nature of God. We're going to look at a couple of foundational verses, really in a passage that you're familiar with. If you want to join me there, going down to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to see that God teaches us that he is infinite and briefly explore why this should lead to our worship and our wonder. This should lead us to a place of being in awe of him. And so we don't take anything for granted. We're going to close by just focusing on that attribute in the Lord Jesus. You know, while we being finite creatures... And those who are absolutely not infinite can never truly comprehend the infinite God. We can and we should get to know him and know him better and better and better. Would you agree with that? We should study what he himself has said about himself and how he has revealed himself to us all throughout Scripture. He's been known to go to some really amazing lengths to reveal himself to his people. Consider Moses from Exodus chapter 3. How did God reveal himself to Moses in this passage? He revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. He came to him in a burning bush. I like to think that I'm a lot like Moses. Before we take that too far, it just means that I like fire. I'm captivated by fire. My wife would tell you that I'm like, I've been a pyromaniac since I was a child, and something's wrong with me in that, right? Right? (laughs) I can sit outside for hours and hours and just stare into a fire pit, even when it's hot outside, and I do that often. You just heard. It's probably no surprise to you that I like barbecue. What you didn't hear is that I'm a purist. I only cook over live flames. I love to be able to tend to a fire, sometimes for 16, 18 hours to get the the final product. Yes, but it's just fun to be able to, it's therapeutic to be engaged in that activity because I am captivated by fire. You've heard enough about me this morning. I want us to turn and look at Exodus chapter 3 and see what else happened when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. Why don't we start reading? In verse number 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Today's topic is simple. God is infinite. If you're a note taker, I want us to look at scripture and see that God wants us to know him and to relate to him as the self-existent, self-sufficient God who is eternal. That's what I mean when I say infinite. He's self-sufficient, he's self-existent, and he's eternal. This really takes crazy faith to believe. 
Not just that the God of the universe would appear to Moses in the burning bush, but that this is what and who God is. We think about infinity. You guys remember the movie, the Toy Story, my favorite character, Buzz Lightyear, right? There's a moment where Woody is arguing him down about his inability to fly. There's no way that you can do that. And what does Buzz do? He musters up this crazy faith to be able to prove that he absolutely can. And what was his tagline once he coasted across the room? To infinity and beyond. (laughs) Keep that in mind. After Moses hid his face and was afraid, God comes and he speaks to him and he reveals himself to him in a very special and personal way. God spoke to him and said, I've seen how my people are enslaved and I've seen how my people are suffering. I've seen how they have need of salvation. I'm going to redeem them and restore them by sending you to make Pharaoh let them go. And Moses' reply is basically, I'm not the kind of guy for a job like that. that, that's That's not who I am. I'm not the man for that job. And God's response was, you're right, but I'm sending you anyway. And I'm going to go with you. Look back again at verse number 13 at Moses' reply. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You can almost hear the sarcasm. If you're sending me to go, and I'm supposed to say that God sent me, they're going to say, Who are you talking about? Which God are you talking about? What is his name? What shall I tell them? Just as a sidebar, I would say that we can learn something from Moses even in that moment, that Moses wasn't afraid to be honest about his doubt. Moses was not afraid to admit that he was fearful, but he also did not understand. Maybe that's you today, this morning. We all look real good in our Sunday best. But the truth of the matter is, is that I know in a room size like this, with all the experiences that we have, the shaping influences, there are doubts. Maybe you hear God speaking to you, but you just don't know if you even should listen. Maybe you, like my wife would say, I was raised in a pastor's home, I need to know God for myself. You see, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses says, that's, that's good. I know that, but, but who am I supposed to tell them that you are? It's not just my parents and my ancestors' this faith. Maybe you fear what others will say if you listen to God and you actually start to obey him. And that he calls you to step out of the boat somehow and to walk on water to, towards him, right? That, that by, by faith, you've actually got to move behind him. Maybe there's something of a decision that you've got to make, but you're doubting it and you're afraid. I want to encourage you to talk to God and to talk back to him, to, to be honest. Again, this is a sidebar, but just even the fact that Moses just doesn't say, okay, God doesn't expect you and I to be robotic in our relationship. He wants a real relationship. And I'm here to talk to you about 
an attribute of God that is his infinity. But since we're talking about attributes, let's be reminded that he's omniscient. He already knows. I'm guessing God knows your heart. He knows where you are. And he invites you into a real relationship with him that you might be honest about where you are. So Moses says, they're going to ask me, what is this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. What if I sent you out of here with a message for your entire family that they no longer have to submit to the government? No longer have to live as citizens in submission to the government. They're all autonomous now. Free to go, as they will. Well, what if you got home and you went to ask them that and their answer to you, rightfully so, was, who said so? <laughs> and I told you, when they say that, you say, I am. Steve said so. He put it on his name. <laughs> That'd be pretty self-centered and arrogant of me, wouldn't it? Why? Because I don't control any of that. Now, what if I was the leader of the United Nations and I had the ability to grant diplomatic immunity to anybody that I determined? Well, that would make me sovereign and that make all y'all free. True or not true? For God to say I am is not self-centered. It's self-sufficient. It's sovereign. He says, tell them I am. I am is the first person common singular of the verb to be. He says, I am. You can use that in a normal situation like I am watching the sheep or I am walking on the road or I am your father. <laughs> However, <laughs> when God used it as a standalone description, I am became the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency. He says, I am because I am, me, because of me. God didn't stop there, did he? Verses 14 to 16, we just read, God said to Moses, I am who I am, and he said to him, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you, this is my name, forever, and thus I shall be remembered throughout all generations. This is my name forever. A better way to say it is my name is eternal, has no beginning and no end. And it will be remembered that way throughout all generations. There's an indefinite, unending future to me, and I'm sending you in my name. God has an everlasting existence. 
When we say he's infinite, he's immeasurable. Listen to Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You're a God that existed before everything. You're a God that existed before time and space and before you even created the earth. You have no beginning and you have no end, the psalmist says. God says, my existence is not contingent upon anyone else. Neither is my direction. His plans are not contingent upon circumstances. He promises that he will be with us and he will be with you and that he will be who he will be regardless of responses. That is that he will be the eternally constant God. He stands completely sufficient in himself to do as he pleases, as he wills, and to accomplish what he wants to will and to bring it about. Again, if I were to say those things, self-centered. For God to say that as a sovereign, the sovereign, he's self-sufficient, he is self-existent, he's the infinite God, and his name is eternal. There's a modern philosopher, his name is Meek Mill. He said, I made it myself, guess I'm self-made. Dropped out of school, never made it to the 12th grade. Maybe I should go into that. Does that sound all right? (laughs) I made it myself, guess I'm self-made. Dropped out of school, never made it to the 12th grade. You know, one of the best ways to shatter exaggerated assumptions or misconceptions about the worth or the value of a thing is to set it next to the real thing. I always give this example of the brands we love in our culture, like my double-walled, vacuum-sealed mug was amazing until I got a hydro flask. (laughs) The one I got from Ross wasn't good enough anymore. (laughs) And then I got a Yeti. Right. And the thing is, is what happens is you start to recognize like, oh, there is a difference. I was in a conversation once uh, recently about this puff jacket, this puffer from I think it was Costco. It was like 32 degrees. Everybody talking about it. It wasn't long before the conversation switched over to Patagonia. Right. It just happens that way. God is the only one who can accurately describe himself as self-made. I am. We think we're infinite. We live like we are autonomous. We reject God's oversight. We try to be our own diplomats instead of those who are surrendered to and submitted to him. Citizens in his kingdom and under his authority. We may not say it, but we think. I'm self-made. We think I am applies to us. And thinking you're self-made and can. Uh, sustain yourself because of your money or your power or some kind of fame or clout is a false claim to I am. You and I do not have any self-sufficiency. We're not eternally constant. You don't have any reason to believe that you have an indefinite, unending future that will never come to an end. Listen to the rest of Psalm 90. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. 
or a past few hours of the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it is renewed in the evening. It fades and it withers. If you are listening to that, you've heard the New Testament authors and apostles say the same thing. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, your life is like a vapor. And that word vapor is the Greek word atmos. It's where we get the derivative of atmosphere. He says, your life, your life is like a vapor. Think about the marine layer. Maybe not as much down here, but definitely we, where we are. You got that thick, dense fog and a mist. Sometimes it's like sheets of water, depending on how close you are to the shore. It just rolls in, and it seems like it is there, and it's there forever. Here's the thing about the marine layer. It lingers around. For a couple of hours. I saw that. Do it again. Do it again for everybody. It's gone. Then it's gone. With the heat of the sun, it evaporates and it burns off. Come one or two o'clock in the morning, you would never know that it was foggy out today. Friends, James says our lives are like that. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 90 said our lives are like that. We appear for a short period of time and then gone. We're not self-sufficient. We're not eternal. We're not infinite. But God is. And so if God reveals himself and speaks to you from that place and sends you, how much more confidence ought you have to have or ought you to have when he calls you to go? Our only hope is to abandon any claims that we have of our own sovereignty and sufficiency and to cast ourselves on the mercy of the great I am. This is just like very shallow, simple, but it's meant to have us to be able to close our eyes and think differently next time. To stand in awe of who God is. And because I would be a bad preacher if I didn't bring us to the gospel, think about what the New Testament teaches us about Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples are afraid. And what does he say to calm them? Do not fear, it is I. It is I. He was saying you can take courage and stop worrying because I am. Standing on water with a physical body like yours. And Peter, why don't you step out here and watch it coagulate under your feet as well. I am. You ever see how it says that they were terrified, were so afraid, and they fell down even oftentimes to worship him because Jesus, we know, is God in the flesh. And he has a self-declaration the same. John 8 and 58 says, before Abraham was, I am. That ain't even a sentence. See, that's why I can talk slang. Jesus was the master of it. They're like, Abraham is our father. He said, before Abraham, before Abraham, I am. Like, what are you saying? They knew exactly what he was saying. Did they not? It's the same expression that was used in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, says the Lord God. And this is the resurrected, ascended the Lord Jesus in his glorified self speaking to John. I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. 
who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. As I was saying, the best way to determine whether or not something is really that great is to size it up against its genuine article, to be able to see what the real thing is that it's imitating. And Paul knew that this was exactly true when he wrote his opening to the letter to the Colossians. If you want to turn there with me, why don't we read this together? Colossians chapter 1. Some of us may even know some of these verses by heart. Beginning at verse number 15. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image. Another word for that would be icon. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, again, speaking of Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent, that's a big word. Preeminent just means supreme. Jamie and I just watched this documentary that was on the skate culture and this streetwear brand that I loved as a child and still love to this day that just grew up and it blew up from this like skater thing that was in a garage to the fact that just a few years ago, it was sold for over $1.3 billion dollars. Now, if you know anything about Supreme, you know that if they take that red and white label and just write Supreme across it, it doesn't matter if it's a box of Q-tips or a pair of Nikes. I mean, the value just skyrockets. I recently saw a keychain sell for somewhere in the thousands of dollars. That's what Supreme is. That's what it means to be preeminent. And I would say it's a billion times a billion more when we think about Jesus Christ. He came and he is the icon, the image. We can see who God is in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the creator of all and he's here and he's he's in front of us. He's preeminent. He's supreme. He's first place. Jesus is the supreme and the preeminent creator of heaven and earth. And he, preeminent means that he should be first place, right? He is first place in the universe. He is first place. He's the head of the church, it says. The head of the body. And he is first place of, of, uh, in eternity. He was the firstborn from among the dead. He's the great I am. I told you earlier that God wants us to know him and to relate to him as the self-existing and self-sufficient God who is eternal. Here's the rest of that sentence. The big idea is that God wants us to know him that way. So he came in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And only when we stand in awe of Jesus can our worship be right of a God like that. We worship the infinite God because we bow down before the Lord Jesus. I came here to tell you today that Jesus is worthy of our first place in everything. Make him first place in your conversations. Make him first place in your mind. Make him first place with the use of your time, with your talent, with your treasure, in your love, in your lives, in your convictions. First place in your politics. First place in all your relationships, in your eating and in your drinking, in your art, in what you watch, in how you worship Jesus. 
ought to be first place because he is preeminent. He is the supreme one. Jesus Christ is self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He's everlasting. And you know what the good news is? He laid it all down and set it aside even temporarily for all who believe in him. Self-sufficiency, Philippians chapter 2 says, yet though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. That's my Jesus. Praise God for the Lord. In his self-existence, it said in verse, verse number 7 of Philippians 2, he laid aside his mighty power and glory, taking the form of a servant and becoming like men. That he is self-sufficient uh, and he is self-existent, but he laid those things down. And how about his everlasting nature? His unending, indefinite future. Well, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, He humbled himself to becoming, to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus lays down his divine nature for all who believe in him. And what does the rest of that passage say in Philippians chapter 2? Therefore, God has highly exhausted, exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue, right? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I want you to close your eyes for a second. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What images, what qualities, what responses? I pray that even in this last half hour, things have changed. I pray you're in awe. That you're seeing things that you never have. And that God is showing himself to be bigger than your wildest dreams this morning. God, that's who you are. God, you are the eternal God. You're the infinite God. We sang about your attributes this morning that you, your self-existence um, is expressed to us in love and in mercy and in grace and steadfast love and just goodness. I mean, all these things that make up who you are. God, you're amazing. Would you stretch our faith, God? Take it from infinity to beyond when we think about you. To infinity and beyond when we think about you. You dwell outside of time. And you came in time and revealed yourself to us in a humble means. born, you set aside your divinity for a brief time, not counting your godness as something to be gripped with a closed fist, but with an open hand and open hearts. God, you emptied yourself, Paul told the Philippians, and that ultimately, Lord Jesus, you went to the cross you died a humiliating death. But God, but you are God. We thank you, Lord, 
that the cross and the grave had not the final say, but the resurrection and the ascension remind us that we are not serving. Just as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was meant to say, he is the God of the living and not of the dead. You are the living God. You are the eternal God. We praise you this morning. We thank you for that assurance. And I ask you, God, that each of us would examine our own hearts, that the men and women and boys and girls here this morning would think really long and hard about where we may have doubts, where we may have fears, where we don't prioritize right worship of you because maybe we don't know you. Maybe we don't know um, you in an intimate and a personal way. We just know facts about you. Or maybe we've been in a rut where we've known you since we were five years old. And now we kind of move beyond that and we're about our careers and we're about our marriage and family and our friend circles and our vacationing and our bank accounts and our cryptocurrencies and whatever else those things are. And God, I just pray that we would see that you're supreme, that your worth is well beyond the Bitcoin. It's well beyond the retirement account and the properties that we have. Help us to make you first place in everything. Which really just means to worship you and to be in awe of who you are. Paul also told the Philippians to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And that word fear means awe, a splendor, a wonder. Pray, God, that we would work out our salvation in our sanctification, in our relationships, in our belonging to the church, in our careers, in our vocations, in our homes, in our parenting, and all those things with a very awe-filled, just a wonderful splendor of, I don't understand why the God of the universe loves me, chose me, is so good to me, but he is, and so here's my life you can have. We don't have to wonder whether or not there is assurance that God hears a prayer like that. If you have your communion elements, I would love to just lead us directly into it.